0: Josh, good luck this year. Wish you well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Huh. Patrick Mahomes, have a fun year. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Oh, snail. Snail? You gotta gotta learn the snail. Oh. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Very nice. Okay. Have a great Great one. Great seeing you. Take care. Thanks a lot. Hey, this is a fun talk. Thanks a lot, David. We had
1: a good time. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. The training camp tour has become the handshake tour. Ever since you left Josh <laughs> Allen hanging last year, it became a thing. That was great. He drops the mic and walks away. Uh, it looked like you had a lot of fun. I know it's grueling. Like you said earlier, 33 or 37 days on the road. I'm sure you're glad it's over. But I know every time we checked in, every video I saw, it's just a lot out there and boy, it looks like you took the biggest bucket you could and caught as much of it as you possibly were able to.
0: Yeah. You know, in the middle of it, I got a little bit sick and I had to take a couple days off and it just, I just said, man, you're 66 years old. Stop acting like you're 36. So, but other than that, it was great. And Mike, I, the reason I love going on the training camp trip tour every year is is very simple. You know, you get to spend, during the season, I'm not spending an hour with Andy Reid in a cinder block dorm room, you know, just talking, me and him, no distractions, no, no screens, no anything, just talking to him. And so those are the kind, those are the reasons why it really is my favorite time of year. So I came up with some ideas and some thoughts as I went along this tour. And let's start, if you don't mind, with the Chargers. Now, every year there's reason seemingly, seemingly to be optimistic about the Chargers. And this is just one of those years. Now, I can't tell you that their defense is going to be a lot better. I I think it's going to be better, but I don't know if I could say a lot better. But I think that the injection of Kellen Moore into that offense, you know, with Justin Herbert is really going to be a positive for them. These two guys are so much on the same page that even back in OTAs in June, you know, as Brandon Staley and Moore pointed out to me in a little film session, they Kellen Moore is completing or Justin Herbert is completing Kellen Moore's sentences, you know, before he is finished saying them. And so I think they've got a lot of good things going. Herbert has got an amazing arm. He's got an, he's got great talent. He's a tough guy who plays through broken ribs. I think this year he will have the best numbers of any quarterback in the NFL.
1: And that is a bold statement, Peter, because here's my big picture view of the Chargers. And this is a very timely, modern, and hip reference, which I trot out every time this year in recent years as it relates to the Chargers. Roseanne, Rosanna dana they are that team in the NFL because with them it's always something. And it yeah. is always something with the Chargers. Every time you think they're just about to turn it around, something happens. Injuries, and I think they've got some deep injury issues that they have yet to fully address and cure. But Yeah, on paper, they look great. And, man, bringing in Kellen Moore, who got fired by the Cowboys. Maybe he could turn it around. Now, if he turns it around too well and saves Brandon Staley's job, who's one of the guys clearly on the hot seat this year with a guy who's making $52.5 million per year as his quarterback, and it can't be his fault if it doesn't work out. It's got to be the coach's fault. But if Kellen Moore saves the day, somebody's going to want to hire Kellen Moore to be the head coach, possibly. That's the problem. When you got a young quarterback and a defensive coach— The better the team is, the more likely you need a revolving door at offensive coordinator because your coordinator is going to go be a head coach for working with this great quarterback. So I don't dispute the possibility. I just know recent history tells me there's just something that's off with the Chargers. And until they admit it and do a deep dive to figure out what the root cause is and try to fix it, it's never going to go away. It's always going to rear its ugly head in some form or fashion and – I agree with you. It could be great, but I have to pay attention to what's happened the past five years. It's always something. I
0: totally understand, and there's a good reason why you think that. And Justin Herbert doesn't play defense. Justin Her- Herbert doesn't decide when to go for it on fourth down. What I'm saying is that he's about, i don't, it's something like 3,200 yards over the last two years. 3,200 yards behind Patrick Mahomes, like nine yards per game, or 320 yards, excuse me, 320 yards. He's like nine yards a game behind Patrick Mahomes. And I just think they bring in Quentin Johnson, the, the, the receiver from TCU in the first round, because they've had receiver injuries. So they're kind of backstopping and making sure that, they're going to have enough weaponry for this high-powered passing offense. The only other thing I would say about the Chargers that, that interests me coming into this year, I think that in the first two years, or in the last couple of years, if you look at you know, Brandon Staley with a guy, Joe Lombardi, as his offensive coordinator, not really a philosophical great marriage. Okay, you know, they see the game a little bit different. And I think now that he's got Kellen Moore in there, they're very simpatico. Uh, They very they very much see the game in the same way. And I don't know what that means exactly. I do think they're going to score, if not a lot more points, they're going to score more points. But again, you're absolutely right. This is a team That has to be much better on defense, particularly in the games when
1: they count. And no matter how good the Chargers end up being, they have the misfortune of being assigned to the same division as the Kansas City Chiefs and will continue to be there for the duration of the Patrick Mahomes Andy Reid partnership. What was your take after visiting Kansas city specifically on who that wild card, that X factor, that difference maker is going to be as they move into year two post Tyreek Hill. Look, you know, the last
0: two, each of the last two years, they have had giant defections in the receiving core. Obviously you lose Tyreek Hill going into last year. Now going into this year, he had a great security blanket in Juju Smith-Schuster. And so now you've got to again make up for, you know, losing McCole Hardman, who just got hurt too much there. But I think the guy this year you're going to see emerge is Sky Moore. Um, you know, a couple of people asked me, you know, in, you know, in the last few weeks, you know, for fantasy football advice, I said, first of all, never listen to me. Because, you know, we talked about how people stink. I stink. I'm terrible at fantasy <laughs> football. My you advice three-quarters of, three of the time is awful. But here's the reason why I'm very bullish on Sky Moore. It's, it's, it's because that in this offseason, Sky Moore found out, where's Mahomes working out, and he just went there all the time. Patrick Mahomes, every time he worked out and threw to receivers, I mean every day, had Sky Moore with him. And last year was a little bit disappointing for Sky Moore. He wasn't the impact player that he thought, that Andy Reid thought, that offensive coordinator Matt uh, Eric enemy and now uh, Matt Nagy thought. None of those people were really happy, nor was Sky Moore, with his, with his production throughout the season. But... Mike, I was talking to Skymore after the Super Bowl. Obviously, he had the huge catch, um, you know, to help them win that game down the stretch against Philadelphia. And while I was talking to Skymore, Patrick Mahomes came over and gave him the kind of bear hug that you, you know, when you see it, you say, man, I hope he didn't get the wind knocked out of him. And there he is scoring the, the huge touchdown in the Super Bowl. But what I noticed... When they, is what Patrick Mahomes said to him, is that, hey, listen, you know, I needed you today, you came through, it was real leader words from Mahomes, and Mahomes told me when I visited camp, he is going to be huge for us this year, so look, I don't know, what does that mean? 85 catches, 1,300 yards, I don't know what it is, but it's
1: going to be a lot better than it was last year. And see, that's the value of that training camp tour, because... No one is yet in the full and complete be secret, say nothing mode. And they're looser with their thoughts. And it's not a misdirection. When Patrick Mahomes says that during camp, he means it. And he's not going to tell you before the week three game, hey, Sky Moore is going to be huge for us this week. So I can see why you are like talking to guys under that type of circumstance because you are, I think, much better positioned to get a candid view of what is going on with a given team. So sky Moore. So Peter is basically saying for fantasy football players out there, go get sky Moore, with the caveat of he stinks. And I'm surprised Peter, <laughs> after all these years, you, you haven't figured out how it works when it comes to fantasy advice. Most, not all, not all Matthew Berry doesn't fall into this category, but for most fantasy football experts, you just say it authoritatively rattle off a stat or two and forget about it if you're wrong, because yeah. nobody ever, after a week's game, goes back and says, "Well, who's that a-hole that told me to get this guy?" They just move on to the next week. That's that's the ticket to being a fantasy football expert. Never acknowledge that you stink. Okay. Uh, Cleveland Browns. Speaking of stink, sorry, <laughs> sorry Browns, but you know <laughs> how it's been, Browns fans. You know. And if if I'm a Browns I'm trying to think of what fan base should be the most nervous on the brink of the season. And I would say it's the Browns because it's like you're opening a Christmas present and you have no idea what's – you truly have no idea what's in the box. What's in the box? You have no idea what's in the box. It could be something really, really good. It could be something really, really bad. And nobody seems to know, Peter. What do you know? What do you think? And it all begins with the guy they give, $46 million per year, fully guaranteed over five years, too. And he only played in six games last year because of his suspension, Deshaun Watson. What do you think he's going to do? What did you pick up from camp? Well, I picked
0: up that everybody in that organization, everybody on that team, has the pom-poms out about Deshaun Watson. Oh, what a great off season he's had. He took the players, took the whole offense to, uh, to Puerto Rico. Uh, he worked out with everybody in Florida, worked out here uh, in Berea, you know, the suburb of Cleveland where the Browns facility is. Everybody is very, very bullish on Deshaun Watson. Well, what would they be exactly?
1: You know, <laughs> is, is there any other way? Is there any other thing
0: that when you ask Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore, you know, how's Deshaun Watson going to be? And look, I will say this. The one thing I heard that might advance the ball a little bit down the, the, the field is that the one thing about his offseason that I think is really important is that he embraced the, uh, all the stuff he had to do and thinking about himself, what caused his life to go off the rails as horribly as it did. And my understanding is that the people who have treated him have had a very positive impression of where Deshaun Watson is mentally right now, and in accepting what exactly has happened to him. Now, we'll see. I mean, you know, he's one of those players who there's going to be a very vocal minority of fans, not only around the country, but still in Cleveland, you know, who wishes, who wish the Browns had never signed him and never paid him all that money. So I think that is one of the things that, He's going to always have to put up with every road trip is going to be the same, you know, and, and at least for a while. And so there's that The one other thing in a football sense that I think is going to help Deshaun Watson is that the Cleveland Browns have gotten a very good reclamation project in Elijah Moore, the former high draft pick of the New York jets who had a debacle of a year with the jets goes to the Browns in trade and basically, he now is going to be the sort of Swiss Army knife of that offense. He's going to play some in the backfield. He's going to be a move receiver. He's had an excellent training camp with the exception of a rib injury he suffered that knocked him out for about seven or eight days. But he is the guy who Kevin Stefanski told me, who a lot of people told me, just watch Elijah Moore. He's going to be a real difference maker for this team this year. So, look, it's all set up for him, Mike. And 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 think about this. You look at opening day, Cincinnati at Cleveland, and Joe Burrow is 1-4 against the Cleveland Browns. He's better against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid than he is against the Cleveland Browns. And so you say, well, geez, how could that be? Well, who knows how that could be? But Joe Burrow coming Logan back B. from the calf injury – we're all assuming he can play, but he comes back from this calf injury. And yet the biggest story in that first game to me anyway, is going to be, will the real Deshaun Watson please stand up? So that I think that is, there's a lot of real interesting games, compelling games in week one, no more interesting or compelling game than Cincinnati
1: at Cleveland for a lot of reasons. Well, well, And that puts even more pressure on Deshaun Watson because to the extent there is a segment of the fan base that is still kind of quietly or not thinking we never should have traded for this guy. We never should have paid this guy. If he stinks, they're going to get louder and they're going to wag the finger and say, I told you so. That adds more pressure to him to not stink. That adds more pressure to him to pay the return on the investment. They're into year two of that investment. Last year was a waste. Because he wasn't there enough games to make a difference. That was $46 million. Now, they saved a lot of it because of the... I, don't know, I can't remember how they worked out that that uh, salary last year. Yeah, because the, the salary was so low. Yeah. Right, right. It was a huge signing bonus and a very low salary. So they had, they made a huge investment last year. Huge investment this year. We never talk about the draft picks they gave up because the focus is the fully guaranteed contract. But at some point... They have to get something back for him, and it's three years now since we've last seen him play a full season start to finish. Can you get it back after 2021, no football, 2022 turned upside down and inside out with everything that was happening, even though he only has himself to blame for what happened, and it's good to know that the pope, uh, the people who were giving him treatment believe that he's he's learned and he's grown because it felt like a year ago after the suspension was announced, he still didn't quite embrace what he had done. And he's still got a couple of pending civil lawsuits last time I checked. So I agree with you. He's a huge mystery. It makes the Browns a huge mystery because they're only going to go as far as Deshaun Watson can take them. And that week one game, there's a lot of great week one games. You know, they could have they could have given us some of the crap games on the schedule, and we would have gladly taken them because we're so hungry for football, but there's some great games looming. And it all starts in six days with Lions Chiefs and then in nine days with that full slate, including Browns hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll flip it over to the NFC. What did Peter learn from some of the teams he visited on that side of the NFL? We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this.
0: I wanna ask you one thing about going forward, okay? What did you do this off season specifically to try to become a better player, a better quarterback?
1: Um, I think just the overall development, um, overall developing and trying to, to, to grow in every part of my game. You know, every time you go into an off season, for me at least, I I look at you know guys like MJ and Kobe and how they kind of diagnose their game and obviously two different sports. But um, just trying to turn, trying to kind of push forward my strengths and uh, get better at my strengths and the things that I do well, and then turn my weaknesses into my strengths. Jalen Hurts, the Eagles quarterback, MVP finalist last year, great contract this year, great player, great leader, great person, great everything. Eagles trying to do something even more rare than what we discussed earlier with the possibility of the Chiefs repeating. There have been multiple, multiple, and I know it's been nearly 20 years, but plenty of repeat winners of the Super Bowl. There's only been two teams that lost it one year and came back and won it the next year the Dolphins, Super Bowl 6 7, and the Patriots, Super Bowl 52 53. Now, grand scheme of things, that one wasn't that long ago. But the Eagles. That's exactly what they're trying to do. Go back to what Dennis Green called the Valley of Zero and Zero and dig out again in a competitive division, not as competitive a conference as the AFC, but what's their biggest challenge, Peter, in checking the boxes like they did last year and getting back, regardless of whether they win or lose, just getting back to the top of the mountain again? You know, my feeling, and this is going to sound crazy, I
0: think the biggest challenge is keeping Jalen Hurts upright for 17 games. Um, I do not like their backup quarterback situation with Marcus Mariota, at least right now. Um, So there's that. But Mike, if I can tell you two scenes that I saw in training camp. I sat with Nick Sirianni in his office for a while before the practice that I saw. And I said, tell me a little bit about Jalen Hurts and I just threw this out I said what did Jalen Hurts what was that moment like after he signed his contract when you had his first the first conversation he signs this historic contract and he said you know I don't remember his exact words but they were something like okay let's get to work and everybody who said oh that's corny that's what I'm just telling you right now that is Jalen Hurts. Sirianni told me that you walk into the quarterback room now and the quarterbacks are talking about either that practice or a play they're installing or whatever. And he said, I'm listening to Jalen Hurts and I think I'm listening to the quarterback coach because he is the guy who knows all the tiny things now after being in this offense for a while. Instead of being the guy, the sponge, who's soaking it in, he's the guy who's dictating the knowledge to everybody else in the room. That's number one. The second thing, totally different thing. There was a play in this practice that I saw where after the play, Lane Johnson, the all-pro right tackle of the Eagles, goes across the line of scrimmage, and he's talking to uh, Jalen Carter. Okay, obviously, the, the controversial lightning rod, ninth pick in the draft. I think he was the ninth pick by the Eagles. Yes. And, uh, and and then he's and, – and also Nolan Smith. He's talking to those guys, his fellow Georgia Bulldog defensive lineman, And he's talking to those guys. And, you know, I come to find out that what he was doing is he was giving both of them advice. And he's talking to them about here's what you should do on your get getoff and, and here's a thought about what I just saw and what you did. And so I'm just thinking to myself, after I hear that story, I'm thinking to myself, you know, the Eagles not only have the best roster in football, which I believe they do. The Eagles not only have the best roster in football, they've got guys on the offense who, you know, it's a very competitive thing in practice at all times. you got guys on your offense who, who are trying to teach guys on the defense to beat me you know, and to beat me in practice. And so I find, this, I find this attitude for guys like Lane Johnson. Jordan Maylotta also, even though he's fairly new at it, he's one of those guys who also will say, hey, maybe if you did this, it'd be better. Jason Kelsey uh, obviously is that guy at center. So anyway, the only point I'm making about all this is that the Philadelphia Eagles have a great roster, and they have a roster, honestly, with players who understand that the only way we're better
1: is if we are all better. I want to take this all the way back, though, to the first thing you said, because I agree with you. Starters, the, the first string, 22 best roster in football but we know that the Eagles regard QB 2 as one of the most important 10 or 11 positions on the entire team and between Marcus Mariota and Tanner McKee I don't feel great about where the Eagles will be if Jalen Hurts isn't available like he wasn't available down the stretch last year after he suffered a shoulder injury against Agreed. the bears that wor- That does worry me. So what at this point, what can they do? We've seen some quarterback churning this week and they're standing pat. What can they do? If anything, to try to avoid that potential outcome, because look, in my mind, it's the 49ers and the Eagles atop the NFC, but it's not going to take much of a wobble. It's not going to take many injuries to open the door to the next level of teams to try to to knock one or both of them out?
0: I'll just say this, and I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith in Marcus Mariota. Um, But I will say this. The offensive coordinator is a rising star coach in the NFL. His name is Brian Johnson. And as much as the Eagles were a bit chagrined to lose both coordinators to head coaching jobs, including Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator to Indianapolis, there was no hesitation in giving this job to Brian Johnson. Uh, Nick Sirianni believes that Brian Johnson is an excellent teacher, not only of quarterbacks, but of the offense. Sirianni has got his hands in the pie. And I believe that Brian Johnson is going to make uh, Marcus Mariota a project of his and going to make sure that if he has to play, he's going to be better than he looked down the end or down the stretch of when he played in Atlanta last year. Can he do that? It'll be really, really tough because I think you and I have both seen uh, the weaknesses, the problems. And too often Marcus Mariota, instead of just sitting there reading the defense and choosing a guy to throw the ball to, just takes off. I saw it again in training camp. It doesn't help your offense if the quarterback takes off and breaks a design play. You know, and okay, so he gains eight yards. Who cares? We're not in this to make the quarterback gain yardage by running the ball on a broken play. You know, you're in this to make sure that he's comfortable enough in the offense and he can make A.J. Brown and and Dallas Goddard, you you know, and Smith comfortable catching the ball from him. And I think that is what Brian Johnson, that's his job over the next few weeks. And, hey, look, I'm sure they hope that they never have to use the backup quarterback, and I get it. But logically – Uh, with Jalen Hurts exposing himself and running a lot, you you, you might need the backup quarterback at some point.
1: Well, from a team that needs a better backup quarterback to a team that knows a thing or two about plugging in backup quarterbacks and seeing them thrive, the San Francisco 49ers. Last year's QB3 is now QB1. What is your confidence level, Peter, in Brock Purdy, the guy that nobody other than the most ardent draft aficionados had even heard of last year at this time. I think the one thing that people
0: underestimated with Brock Purdy last year is that he started 47 games in a power five conference in college football. And he started them in many games as an underdog. Uh, he played in, in front of huge crowds in Norman, Oklahoma, Austin, Texas. He, he played big games at Iowa State so I think from that standpoint everybody has said oh boy look at this guy I mean what a shock it's it's a surprise certainly that Mr. Irrelevant comes in and in the eight games that he plays three quarters or more he goes eight no last year so I have a lot of confidence he's going to do it again Mike I think that I think he's going to have a very very good year And as long as he stays healthy and there's no indication whatsoever that his elbow is an issue uh, after his off-season surgery, I think he's going to be fine. But the one thing I would just caution you about, in four of the six years that Kyle Shanahan has coached this team, four of the six years, he's had to play three different quarterbacks. And that means something to me. Because if you think about it, you know, you have to be really confident in your backup quarterback. That backup quarterback is now Sam Darnold. And I get Kyle Shanahan picking Sam Darnold over Trey Lance. I get it. I don't get Kyle Shanahan (coughs) picking Brandon Allen over Trey Lance. Trey Lance has been in the offense for two and a quarter years, two and a third years, just about Uh, knows it inside and out. Um, it's just hard for me to fathom that they pick Brandon Allen over uh, Trey Lance. And, and I've heard from a lot of fans, because I wrote in my column on Monday, I did not like this trade from the 49ers perspective. I didn't like it from Dallas's perspective either. But I really didn't like it from the 49ers perspective. And the general impression out there is that, hey, Trey Lance is a sunk cost. You've made your decision on him. It's over. And maybe you have. But I guess my question would be, if you were confident enough 10 months ago, 9, uh, 11 months ago, excuse me, to make him the starting quarterback at the beginning of a, uh, of a season of great hope for your franchise, and he gets hurt in the fifth quarter of that season, are you telling me that in the span of not playing any football over the last ten months, have you been? If, are you telling me that that is cause enough to just dump this guy you invested three first round picks for? I just I don't get it. I just simply don't get it, and I think it's a knee jerk reaction. Instead of saying to Trey Lance, I know you're disappointed. Take a couple days. You know, go out and, 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 you know, instead of being really disappointed, gather yourself. We're going to make this work, and we're going to give you some experience during the course of practice weeks. We're going to try to make this right, blah, blah, blah. Now, who knows? Nobody knows what happened behind the scene in that, but I just thought
1: it was a precipitous move by the Niners. And that's the key. We don't know what happened behind the scenes, but something had to happen— to cause them to say, we're done with this guy. And they were thrilled to both unload the remainder of his fully guaranteed contract, $6.3 million combined over the next two years, and to get a fourth-round pick for him. The Cowboys much higher than what anybody else was offering, and they were thrilled to get it. That tells me he had fallen, in Kyle Shanahan's mind, behind Brandon Allen on the depth chart. And maybe some of it was just Kyle Shanahan saying I told you so to whoever it was that talked him into Lance because there's a theory out there that Shanahan wanted Mac Jones after they traded up number three, and somebody talked him into Trey Lance, and he didn't want Trey Lance, but he went along with Trey Lance, and now Trey Lance didn't work out, doesn't fit in that offense, hasn't clicked, and I told you so, and we're just dumping this guy. I don't want to spend another time or another minute of my time working with a guy that I don't think is ever going to get it in my offense, and he's never going to be the guy that I need to be. Now, he's putting a lot of eggs in the Brock Purdy basket because he thinks Purdy can be exactly the guy that he needs. Purdy is Kirk Cousins in a good way for Kyle Shanahan. And so he's all in on Purdy. But you're right, they may regret this. We've seen what happens with their quarterbacks. Purdy gets injured. Donald gets injured. Could have had Trey Lance there. Just like last year's QB three, there will be
0: never coming in and saving the day. Brandon Allen will have more pressure on him than any third-string quarterback in NFL history if he has to play. That's that's the simple fact. And by the way, by the way, that theory that Kyle Shanahan really didn't want him and got talked into him is bunk. It's crap. It's not true. I talked at length to to Shanahan. Hey, oh, and he always tells the truth. You. Not true. Not true. It just okay. Are you telling Doctor me then? Dead. Are you telling me? Are you telling me that someone could have talked Kyle Shanahan into giving two additional ones to go up and get Trey Lance? That's crazy.
1: No, it no, makes no, no that's sense not how whatsoever. It Peter, None. That's not how it worked. That's not how it worked. They made the investment, and then they figured out who they were going to get. After they made the investment, it was bass-ackwards from the start. Hey, let's go up to get to number three, because here's my theory. Let, let, just indulge me here. He saw in Super Bowl 55 the guy he refused to scout in Patrick Mahomes because he was determined to get Kirk Cousins a year later. That's a fact. And then he played fact. in the Super Bowl. He played in the Super Bowl against the guy who wanted to come home and play for the 49ers, and they said, get out of here, old man. You don't have it anymore. Shanahan saw those two guys in the Super Bowl play each other, and in the aftermath of that, he got desperate. And they traded up to that spot not knowing who they were going to take. And I believe, based on everything I've heard, when they made that trade, he wanted Mac Jones. Now, maybe he changed his own mind, but something he changed. Did. He but did. But when they made he that trade, his own mind. To the one they went not that Mac Jones is on pace to be in the Hall of Fame, but we don't know what Mac Jones would be in the 49ers offense. I think he'd be really, really good. And I think it's
0: obviously it's been a mistake. You know what they did. It's a huge. Why did
1: mistake. he change his mind? I'm curious about this. We got to take a break. What I don't you, know. You, I you don't Talk know. to Shannon about he, it.
0: I mean, he changed his mind going from Mac Jones to Trey Lance because he saw enough in at North Dakota State to be convinced that he could be the kind of move quarterback that he believes quarterbacks need to be in football in 2021, whatever year it was. I think that's very clearly why he made the decision
1: to pick Trey Lance over Mac Jones. And I think it all goes back to Mahomes. He didn't look Mahomes' way because he thought, I don't need that mobility. I don't need well, that Well, Mac Jones is not Mahomes. Creativity. Mac
0: Jones, it, right. Trey Lance has Mahomes' traits. And you know, everybody's going to laugh. Oh, you know. What I'm saying is he's got the mobility that Mahomes has. Mac Jones doesn't have nearly the mobility that Trey Lance has.
1: Kyle Shanahan's offense is premised on the quarterback doing exactly what Shanahan wants. And if the quarterback does exactly what Shanahan wants, drop back, make the reads, throw the ball, you do it the way Shanahan tells you, Shanahan believes his offense, combined with that incredibly great running game, will score points and win games. He decided, I think, based upon Mahomes' success, I need that guy who... In those occasions where my play doesn't work as designed, he can make things happen with his legs. And that's why I think at the end of the day, he changed his mind. Somebody changed his mind. They collaboratively changed his mind. I don't know, but he felt like he needed a Mahomes-style quarterback. And now he's gone back to Purdy. My experiment with the Mahomes-style quarterback is over. I'm going back to Brock Purdy. I'm going back to the guy that drops back, throws the ball, and we won't worry about it. If the walls cave in, we'll just tell him to take a sack or get rid of the football. That's where I think they are. Well, he goes. He goes to Purdy. Brock Purdy.
0: He goes to Brock Purdy basically out of necessity. Who else is he going to play after the first two guys get hurt? And you know, right? But Brock he loves Purdy him now. Turned he's out worked out be, perfectly. He has. You're right. He's worked out. He's he's. It's a dream. The only reason that the 49ers are not in the toilet right now is Brock Purdy. And, you know, so, and, you know, a lot of people might say, oh, well, they lucked into him. He was the last pick in the draft. Well, maybe, but they picked him. You know, did the Patriots luck into Tom Brady at 199? Yes, but they picked him. Did the Broncos luck into Terrell Davis in the, uh, in the seventh round? Yeah, but they picked him. And so the fact is, whether you luck into him, however he gets on your team, he's on your team. Coach the heck out of him and coach to his strengths, which is what they've done. Brock Purdy is a guy who's unafraid. He stays in the pocket. He waits until the last possible minute to make a throw. He is gutsy. He's got a good enough arm. uh, And the players on that team really respect him. So... If he stays healthy, the 49ers are going places this year. But that's a very big question. And obviously, if they get Nick Bosa back, I'm I'm assuming they will. But, you know, look, my only problem with what happened with Trey Lance is not that they drafted him in the first place, is that they gave up on him two and a quarter years after investing three first-round picks in him and 11 months after handing him... A starting job on a
1: playoff team that they thought could go far the good news is this has been a fascinating discussion that I did not expect to have the bad news is we only have so many minutes left in the show we got to take a break <laughs> and we got to reconfigure what we're going to do with the time we have left we'll have more PFT live for you right after this I thought he looked good. You know, it was good It was going to get him out there um, you know it certainly energizes the team when you get a chance to get your starting quarterback back out of there. So I thought he looked good. I don't think there's a defined checklist that we need to see. Um, again, it was just good to get him out there with the team and call him plays in the huddle and all that good stuff at practice. So I think that was encouraging for everybody. Just take it day to day. You know, it was good to get him out there yesterday. And, and again, we'll continue to, to work through every single day that we got before this game.
0: Looked great throwing the ball. You can tell he's, he's in shape and his arm's in shape and his... Timing's good. All those things still didn't seem to be affected at all. So that was a positive thing. You never know until you get out there what, what it's going to look like. So um, that part was, was great. He looked good the last two days, and it's nice to have him out there. Um, I think he's in a good place, and, and we got a good plan in place for him to, to get ready for week one.
1: Zach Taylor, a little noncommittal about Joe Burrow playing in week one for the Cincinnati Bengals after that calf strain he suffered in late July. Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, a little more candid. We have a plan in place to get him ready for week one. At this point, it looks like he'll be ready to go nine days from now. As you mentioned earlier, he's one and four against the Browns. They need him in Cleveland to get the season off to a good start, Peter. But, you know, looming over all this, whether or not before week one, they're going to take care of him financially. I personally wouldn't play unless and until I got that contract. He's due to make like $4.3, 4400000 this year. Remember a year and a half ago? That was the narrative with Kyler Murray. There's no way he's setting foot on the field for $4.3 million.
0: Well, I guess the way I'd look at it, Mike, is Joe Burrow is not the kind of person to violate the terms of his contract and – to go on strike because he's only making $4.3 million or whatever it is. And I understand people who say, I wouldn't play for any other uh, – I wouldn't play on this contract. And I get that. But at this point, you have to have faith in your organization. You just do. You have to have faith in your organization that if John Doe comes flying around the corner in the first month of the season – caves in your knee and you get a torn ACL. And again, this is ridiculous. But if, if Joe Burrow gets hurt in the first month or whatever, that he's still going to sign a ridiculously large contract because I believe he will. I don't think there really is any realistic kind of injury that would prevent the Bengals from signing him to a gigantic new contract and, either the biggest or one of the two or three biggest contracts that uh, an NFL player has ever gotten.
1: Two quick points. First of all, it's not quite as simple and and blatant as going on strike. All he has to say is, I'm not 100% sure about this calf, and without the financial security that I deserve, given what I've done for you the past three years, I'm not comfortable moving forward. We need to get this done, and if you want to get it taken care of, then I'll go out there and take the risk that this calf injury can become something worse. But I also agree with you. There's no injury he could suffer that wouldn't be truly career-ending that would cause the Bengals to not pay him. Because the Bengals take advantage of that, say, well, you got a torn ACL, we can't pay you. At some point, what they risk Joe Burrow saying is, you know what? Fine. I'll finish my five years. I'll take a franchise tag. I'll take another. I'll be seven years in. And then I'll go be a free agent, just like Kirk Cousins did. See you later if that's how you want to play this game. And then i will go make his money somewhere else. So I agree with you. Anything other than a career-ending injury, they're still going to pay him. So he can take that leap of faith. I just don't think he should. And I think it's an easy argument to make. There's a chance he's not 100%. There's a chance that calf injury could become aggravated. There's a chance it could turn into something more serious. I'm not comfortable going out there until you give me that thing we've been talking for months about. Let's just get it done.
0: I'm a little naive in this regard, uh, but I just don't believe that Joe Burrow, son of a coach, um, hugely respectful of the sport, would do that. I think if he feels like he, as Brian Callahan said, we have a plan in place to get him ready for week one, barring, you know, a Cooper Cup-like aggravation of the injury. He's going to play in week one. I will be shocked if he does not.
1: Well, I'll be surprised if he plays without a contract, and I expect him to get one. I wonder at this point whether he's just waiting to see if Mahomes signs one before week one to provide another maybe high watermark that he could try to jump over. But we'll keep an eye on that over the weekend and into the course of next week. Let's take a break. We'll have more PFT Live right after this. Hall of Famer Gil Brandt passed away yesterday at the age of 91 here he the Hall of Fame in 2019. Legendary figure in the NFL. Key component in the rise of the Dallas Cowboys. Peter, what do you remember most about Gil?
0: You know, Mike, I think Gil Brandt was always one of those guys. He was just there at everything. He was there at the Super Bowl every year talking football. He was the king of the scouting combine for probably 15 years, ushering every big player to press conferences and, you know, in their ears and giving them advice and, and going, being the centerpiece at dinner with coaches at the scouting combine and then at the league meetings. And he was just sort of the godfather of scouting, quite honestly. Um, for those who don't really know about the Dallas Cowboys in the 60s when Gil Brandt, Tech Schramm, and Tom Landry took over, they basically used a computerized form of scouting for the first time to put factors into a player's uh, profile that had never been in there before. Uh, case in point, you know, if a guy, for instance, played basketball, Gil Brandt really, really liked that. He liked guys who were big basketball players or big baseball players. He liked athletes who were good in other sports. And he ended up drafting a few of those guys, having them come in and make the Dallas Cowboys. And I think the other thing is a lot of innovators in the NFL, George Young was open with the New York Giants, saying that they learned a lot from how Dallas scouted players using psychological evaluations, which nobody did before the Cowboys did, to look at players. And so he just was one of these guys who had incredible stories and was a great resource for so many people over the years. You know, from Bill Belichick to Roger Goodell to Paul Tagliabue, he was always one of these guys who was available And wanted to give his expertise in whatever the subject was. And, you know, personally for us in the media, uh, I think one of the valuable things that he did is that every year he went to all these pro days, or went to a lot of pro days, and knew everybody at the scouting combine. So I remember many years my mock drafts, my, my last call was to Gil Brandt because he would know He'd be talking to people in every team, you know, and he would know great intelligence on almost every every team and what they might do in the draft that year. Um, the other funny thing is about Brant is he always felt like he wanted to know a little bit about your background. Like he once asked me, he said, hey, Peter, where, where'd you go to high school? I said, I went to a small I was in a small town in Connecticut Enfield Connecticut Enfield High School and he was racking his brain he prided himself on knowing nicknames of high schools around the country he had a weird weird photographic memory and so the next time I saw him he said Peter King Enfield Connecticut the Enfield High School Raiders and he just you know he he had gone somewhere he'd looked it up he did whatever but he found that out because he knew that the next time he saw me, he wanted to get one over on me. And so he's just uh, a very uh, one of these guys who was very active in the NFL till even a couple of years before he died. And obviously, the, his last uh, public event basically was, you know, a totally insensitive thing he said about Dwayne Haskins after he died. And I know he regretted that. And I guess I look at that, Mike, and say, you know, none of us should be judged on our worst moment. And Gil Brand had a lot
1: of great moments in and around the NFL. I've heard you say multiple times over the years that the ultimate standard for someone's fitness to be in the Hall of Fame is whether or not you can tell the story of the NFL without that person. And you cannot tell the story of the modern NFL without Gil Brand, who has had a hand in it for Decades. So Gilbrand passed at the age of 91. Hall of Famer, one of the all-time greats. We'll be back with more PFT live right after this. You mentioned Anthony there yeah. uh, as a rookie. I know he's quarterback, but is that significant to you? I think it's big. It just shows what the team has thought about him. I mean, these were not, there's no favoritism. These guys, it was their votes. Uh, And they voted him to be one of the top
0: seven captains. And uh, I'm excited for him uh, to get that honor. I think that's a big honor as a rookie. but to get that. It just kind of really speaks volumes of what the team thinks about him.
1: The only person more important, than the one who casts the vote, is the one who counts the votes. And we've had issues from time to time over the years where uh, there are votes that turn out a certain way. And we wonder, did they really all cast those votes? But, hey, for Anthony Richardson, he steps right in. He's the guy. And it's clear he's the guy. He's got that great voice. He's got that great presence. He's got that great athleticism. I would vote him for captain if I was a member of the Colts. I was just being facetious about Shane Steichen counting the votes in a way to make Richardson a captain. But, Peter, this guy's got high-end potential. But I'm curious about, and this is something we haven't discussed, it's been the biggest story or one of the biggest stories in the NFL, you're going to send him out there against the Jaguars in nine days and he's not going to have Jonathan Taylor. And wouldn't it be a lot easier for Anthony Richardson to develop if defenses had to worry about one of the best running backs in the NFL gashing them for six, seven yards a pop? You know, who, who makes captain is
0: a nice little story that <clears throat> in the vernacular would be, if I was a beat writer, uh, maybe the lead to my notebook. Uh, If I wrote three stories covering the Indianapolis Colts for a day, it's a shrug of the shoulders. I don't really care who's the captain of the team. I care who's on the team. And right now, Jonathan Taylor is not on this team. And what to me is very, very odd about this is that Jonathan Taylor had a minor ankle procedure to clean up some irritation in his ankle after the season. He's been fine through the offseason. When he came back in the summer, he said, I'm fine, I'm not injured. And now all of a sudden he lands on you know, the pup list going into the season. And, and look, you can use whatever list you want. Joe Gibbs and Bobby Beathard made it famous when they ran uh, the Washington franchise that year after year, Hey, how can that guy be on injured reserve, or whatever it was called at the time? And and so you know so you can do whatever you want with those lists, but the fact is, Jonathan Taylor apparently is healthy enough to play football right now. He's not playing football right now. You get the impression that the Colts want him to take a month away to basically cool off, let all the sides simmer down, and then he will come back and play the last. Let's say 13 weeks of the season. Now, Mike, I would just want to say one thing about this whole situation. I heard, we all heard, Tuesday 4 p.m. deadline for making a decision on Jonathan Taylor. Doesn't get traded? Okay, he's staying with the Colts. Why does he have to stay with the Indianapolis Colts? Why can't on October 10th he get traded to the Miami Dolphins for. Whatever, whatever it is, say a, a 2 and a 4. I, I don't even know what it would be. But he still can get traded. And I believe that he still would be a candidate to get traded if he's going to be a sourpuss and refuse to come in, let bygones be bygones, and play the rest of the year at whatever the number is. So I don't think this story is over. I don't think it's over by a long shot. So let's see what happens when he actually does come back.
1: Yeah, remember the initial word from Jim Irsay, the owner of the team, was we are not trading him. Not now, not in October. And that changed. The deadline was for the purposes of putting him on the reserve pup list. As of Tuesday, they had to do that. And now he's gone for four games, even if he is traded. Once he's back, you're right. He could be traded all the way up until Halloween. And if they don't trade him, then he'll be traded after the season from under the franchise tag. Unless the Colts... Give him a long-term deal. And, Peter, that's my one big takeaway on this. And this goes to Ursay, because he's been the one constant for the last 30 years plus. They had Marshall Falk, first-round pick, great running back. They never gave him a second contract. They traded him. They had Edgerin James, first-round pick. The year they traded Falk, let him finish his rookie contract, tagged him once, walked away. Never gave him a second contract. Why are they going to give Jonathan Taylor a second contract? Or say he wants to go four years, tag, tag, see you later. We have to say see you later. Just for now, we're going to wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this quick break. Well, Peter, just when we think we figured out Bill Belichick's plan at quarterback, and it was simple. Carry one on the active roster, have Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham on the practice squad, call up your number two guy on game day like he did a couple of years ago when he didn't have a kicker on the roster, and then boom. Matt Corral gets claimed on waivers, and now he's on the roster along with Mac Jones. And what does Corral know about the Patriots? What does he know about Bill O'Brien? What does he know about anything he's going to be doing? It really is strange to think he's the guy. Now, maybe he won't be the game day number two. Maybe they'll pull up Bailey Zappi from the practice squad when they play the Eagles. But that was a surprise to me that they made the waivers claim and got Matt Corral. Yeah, I think it was
0: a surprise to everybody, Mike, because, look, there had been no quarterbacks uh, on waivers picked up by anybody uh, in the first two days of the claiming period. So I was surprised. But I think what this is all about, this is the classic look-see. You don't love necessarily Bailey Zappi. You don't love the backup quarterback situation on your team. Get this guy in the building for... A month, six weeks. See what you have in him. If after that time, it doesn't look like he's going to work, you just get rid of him. It's a very small investment in trying to solidify your quarterback position.
1: And it's all come full circle. The Patriots traded a third-round pick to the Panthers last year in the draft. They drafted Corral with the pick the Patriots got. They took Zappi, and now the Patriots have both Corral and Zappy. Peter, great to do the show with you again. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you on Tuesday.